Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to one of our Art of Money guest teacher calls. Today, I have the honor of interviewing one of our teaching assistants, Makita Pennycook, and she has been a TA with us for the last two years, and three years ago, she took the art of money as a student, and then I asked her if she would please be one of our teaching assistants, and she said yes, and so we've had her for the last two years, and I'm going to read just a little bit about her official bio, and then open it up um, for our interview. So Makita is a mindset and empowerment coach, and the theme today will be finding your brave as you navigate the space between what was and what is not yet. So after navigating multiple major life and career changes, Makita is convinced that fear is temporary, but regret is permanent. She uses a lesson she learned in her own journey to support women facing change in their lives. Her genius is in creating a safe space for her clients as they navigate the chaos of the in-between, the place between what was and what is not yet. She believes there is greatness in each of us, and it is the responsibility of our lifetime to rise into that greatness. I'll say a little more. Um, she says she supports people who are navigating this in-between space of change. The transition period, okay, I'm repeating this again, but it's so important. The transition period between what was and what is not yet. So clients come to her who have recently made a change and now feel stuck by fear or doubt, or they feel like they need to make a change but can't see how to move forward because of their fears. So again, her genius is in helping people get unstuck and reorient themselves around their desires, okay? So I love this. I loved seeing this on her website, that her genius lies in creating safe spaces to get really clear about where you are, where you've been, and where you're going, and to hold safe space for that. Welcome, Makita. Mm, thank you, Barry. It's an honor and a privilege to be doing this interview with you, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. So... I have some wonderful questions to ask you, and it's always great to start by finding out how you got started 
doing your work, specifically helping people through change and through transitions. Yeah, yeah. So um, this journey started probably about five years ago when I dropped into, so in early 2012, I dropped into a really dark time in my life, feeling pretty hopeless and not feeling like my life made sense anymore. And I was in that space for probably four or five months. And as I emerged out of that space, I realized that there were several things in my life that needed to change. And the biggest one of those was the job that I was in. But I held a pretty high level and influential position in that organization. So my leaving wasn't going to be as simple as here's my two-week notice. There was going to be quite a bit of processing that would need to happen to make that happen. So it took two years for me. It took me a year before I worked up enough courage and really worked through all of my own doubts and my own fears to be able to go to my bosses and say, I really feel like this is a change that I is coming for me that I need to make. And then it took us another year and a half to process fully all of that change. Once I stepped down from that organization, so this was in 2014, and I started to run my own business, my own coaching practice, that journey sent me on another process of really unraveling all of the things I believed about myself, all of the things, even from a faith and a spiritual standpoint that I had that once grounded me, all of those things came into question. And I just had to face all of those things. And there was so much uncertainty, so much fear, so much all of these things that come up when we make big life transitions or sometimes even when we make small life transitions. And as I navigated that space, I picked up different tools along the way that I now use in supporting my clients. And so my work, I think, as with most people, is birthed out of my own personal journey and the strategies that supported me as I navigated a very massive life change. Because when I left that job, I left my, I lost, I left my job, my entire community, and then I up my entire spiritual spirituality underwent an upheaval at the same time as well. So it really was just this unraveling that happened in my life over a two and a half to five year period. Mm. I love how much space and time you took mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to take yourself through that transition. You know, some of us can just be like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I need to get out and I'm, and it's more spontaneous or reactionary and mm-hmm. you really took the slower road um to you know honor them honor yourself and you know take yourself through a huge transition so that you can leave um yeah 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 yeah, I just, I really needed to know I was making the right decision and not making one out of reaction. And so for me, I needed to really take that time to process and make sure that it was really what my soul was asking me to do. And because I was not in the habit of checking in with my soul at that kind of level, it took it took some time for me to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, so what were some of the tools? That came mm-hmm. from that. It sounds like in it, as you were saying, your spiritual grounding and um, mm-hmm. was was what you had known was starting to be called into question or it was changing. And mm-hmm. then you were asking different questions and new tools were coming from that place. Can you share sure. a little bit about sure, that? Sure, I'd be happy yeah. to. 
Yeah, so I think because I um I grew up in a in a in a culture and in a framework that said the answers I needed were outside of myself. So I got into the habit of going to other sources for answers and for truth. And what my journey taught me was that I actually have the answers on the inside of me. And if I can quiet all of that noise, I can access that truth. So some of the tools that I gained, I think probably the two biggest tools that I used that supported me and that I use pretty regularly in my own journey, but also with my clients is around dealing with the negative self-talk. So that voice inside of our heads that tells us we're not good enough, smart enough, brave enough, we can't do it for all the myriad of reasons that we can think of, that inner, that voice is the voice of your inner critic. And I learned how to engage that voice instead of listening to it or instead of believing it. I learned how to challenge what that voice was saying to me, understanding where it came from, understanding where that voice was getting its power, a lot of that being birthed from childhood and conditioning and programming that I got as a child. But learning how to deal with my inner critic, recognizing that her primary tool is fear, I learned how to dance with my fear, which is the other thing that I was probably the other biggest tool that I picked up was learning how to dance with my fear. Fear, I have learned, we all have fear, and many of us wait for fear to go away before we make any before we make any changes or do anything. And what I've discovered is that fear is almost always, short of our lives being in danger, fear is almost always pointing us in the direction that we need to go. So the key is for us to learn how to engage our fear rather than try to run from our fear. Now, that takes time and that takes processing and that takes support. But once we learn how to engage with our fear, it really does shift the dynamic of, our, of how we see our circumstances because perspective is everything. And when navigating change, stepping into change with the right perspective is what supports you on the days when it gets really, really hard. So hopefully that answered that question. It does. Uh, but I would of course. Say, go yeah. ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, I would say learning to deal with my inner critic and learning to dance with my fear were probably the two biggest things that I learned through okay. that process. And um, and then uh, journaling is another big important thing for me in in navigating all of that. So yeah. So what ha- I mean, something happened where all of a sudden, instead of listening to the inner critic, you woke up one day and were able to have some level of witness and separation and started mm-hmm. to see the yeah. character inside of you and how strong it was. And yeah, sure. you, what, how, do you remember I do. how that – okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was home getting dressed, I was, um, and my inner critic was having a field day in my head. You are awful. Nobody wants to listen to you. Nobody can even stand to look at you. I don't even know why you're bothering. You shouldn't even try. You should just give up right now. Like she was having a field day in my head. And I remember wishing the floor would just open up and swallow me and put me out of my misery. So I'm on the floor and I'm crying because, like, this assault is happening in my head. You know, you're terrible. People can't even really want to be around you and you'll never amount to anything, and you're a complete failure, on and on it went. And somehow, in the midst of all of that divine providence, I just had this idea pop into my head that I needed to give that voice a name. 
if I didn't give it a name, I was never going to be able to separate it from me. Because it felt so much like me, like I was saying all these terrible things to myself. But I had heard this idea of the inner critic before, and in that moment I thought, I need to give her a name. So the first name that popped into my head, I just went with it. And so I used that name. The name is Holly, so no offense to anyone who's named Holly. <laughs> I didn't know anyone at the time named Holly, but it was the first name that came to mind. Hmm. The minute I gave her a name, I could separate her from me. So now I could say, oh, Holly's having a field day and really try to engage this entity that really wasn't me, even though in that moment it felt like me. Yes. So from there I learned, you know, so I gave her some characteristics. Like I made her a person so that I could engage with her. But I had to first separate her from me. And I remember that day when that idea dropped into my spirit. You know, it's, you know, as I'm hearing you speak to this day and, and also share what Holly was saying, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's such terrible, horrible things, right? And, mm-hmm. I mean, you're reminding me of my own moment when I was about to give a talk years ago, one of my first talks, and I had my own inner critic, like, telling me I'm stupid, mm-hmm. I have nothing to say, I'm not articulate, you know, just my own version. Yeah, um, yeah. And that... It's so sad, and but you're not alone, as you know, and I'm not alone, and mm-hmm. we all have, we all do have this, and we all it's really, have it. we all have it, and it's really terrible, horrible, mean things, you know, that mm-hmm. um, this part of us is thinking or saying right yeah. to us, yeah. and right to separate it out. I love that you gave her this part of you a name. Um, mm-hmm. I I deleted. I just deleted I, in my mind. I was like, "This is how yeah. I'm going to work with it. I'm going to delete all of this per, this these thoughts, and I'm going to replace them mm-hmm. with, yeah, you know, with what I want to be. I, I want to be yeah. articulate, and I want to believe I'm smart, and I want, you know, but yeah, I I love that you you gave a name, and yeah. um, just that separated her from the true you and you. Right, exactly. And and if I could share sort of what that process of engaging with that inner critic revealed to me was that Holly was really saying all those terrible things in an effort to keep me safe because I'm doing something that's scary that I've never done before. I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone and outside of everything that is familiar Right, and I don't know what's going to happen out there. Any number of things could go wrong. I could bomb. I could fail. Like all these terrible things, and so it doesn't make sense intuitively that she would use all those terrible things. But if she can beat me down enough so that I don't step out outside of my comfort zone, then I stay where everything is familiar and comfortable, and I know exactly what's going to happen. And so I've discovered that my inner critic often shows up thinking she's trying to keep me safe and trying to protect me from all the awful things that could potentially go wrong in life outside of my comfort zone. And I, so I've learned to be, uh, meet her with a little bit more kindness in those spaces. Not all the time. Sometimes I just tell her that, you know, you got to go away. I may not yeah. say it that nicely. Um, but yeah, so that's been part of the journey for me in engaging with my inner critic. I love it. It's, it's a deeper and wider perspective, right? And mm-hmm. right. On, on who she is, what her purpose is, right? And it's, uh, you know, and it's and it's seeing her role. Like, 
you in yep. order for your safety and survival growing up this is who was created and she was yeah. doing it to protect you and mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of compassion right right for right. her and what she's doing and yes in moments you need to go <laughs> you know i don't want you today um right but in other moments it's okay thank you <clears throat> i hear you and mm-hmm. this is where i hear you step into start where you start dancing with the fear right. dancing right. right with her fear dancing yeah. with your fear dancing yeah. with the fear that comes up and you say this quote on your website you say that fear is temporary mm-hmm. but regret is permanent mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about what that means for you yeah sure yeah. yeah so um I have had times in my life, and even in this job that I was in before, when I really felt like I needed to have made a change, I needed to do something different. But I let fear get the better of me, right? I let fear convince me that to do it would be wrong or bad or I would fail or sometimes even I would succeed and then what? Um, and in, in, making, in letting fear win, there are things that happened or didn't happen that I can't go back and change And so now I have to live with the regret that had I had the courage then to make a different choice, I might have had a different outcome. Now, I certainly have dropped into acceptance. Life is what it is. I certainly know that all of my choices have shaped the person that I am, and therefore, and I like the person that I am. Therefore, it's all good. But I do know that I regret some of the decisions that I've made or didn't make along the way because of fear. And that I have to carry with me. But the times when I have looked my fear in the eye, I've danced with it, I've moved through my fear, I've recognized that fear does not, it's not permanent. It is only temporary. The minute we take a step towards fear, the, the power of it drops down immensely and we can start to move through it. But it's so intense on the front end that often it causes us to retreat. So for me, I have learned having made several changes, not just this big one that I've just talked about. I mean, I've changed careers three times. I've lived in eight or nine different states, and and four of those I moved all in one year. So I've made big changes. And every time I've learned that the story that fear tells me is never true, so it, it doesn't stick around. But the regret that comes from letting fear win, that, you have to learn to live with, and that is a bit more permanent. So what you, you've been sharing is some of the tools that you work with with yourself around mm-hmm. um, working with the inner critic, naming her, yeah. um, which is th- there's a lot of fear there and protection and trying to protect your safety and, and so mm-hmm. tools of learning how to dance with the fear and journaling. So are these some of the same tools that you bring to clients when they're stuck in old patterns or um just in a stuck place? How do you how do you work with them? Yeah, yeah. So all of those things are things that I use when I'm with clients and I think what what the value of the work that I do is the safety that it provides. To, for someone to say out loud the thing they've been afraid to say. This isn't working. I want it to be different. I know I should be happy, but I'm miserable. Yeah, it's, and you think you can't say that out loud, so you stuff it. And 
what I try to do is provide a safe place where you can say that out loud, no judgment, right? So you just say it out loud without any judgment, and then see what emerges after that. The sense of relief, the permission giving that happens with my clients in their place of stuckness, when they can give themselves permission to name their desire, and sometimes they can't access their desire, right? So sometimes we have to work to get them to be able to access their desires. But really what I have found is that a lot of times it's not that they can't access their desires, it's that they have stuffed it for so long they can't find the words to articulate it. So I try to just listen and then repeat back to them what I'm hearing, including the things that they're not saying, which often will call, bring light into the darkness. And I send people to journal all the time. It's the number one tool that I use because magic happens when pen touches paper. I can't explain it, but I know that time and time and time again when I have needed truth, when I've gone to my journal, truth has emerged. But there can be no judgment in that. And as that truth has emerged, when I give permission for that, then we, we can learn how to move forward. So when in a place of stuckness, usually it starts with just giving yourself permission to let what you are desiring be, to say it out loud. So can you give some examples of, like, folks that you work with and, like, and stuck patterns? Are you talking small? Are you talking about life transitions? Are you talking about small stuck places, big ones? Can you Yeah, it varies. Okay. Sure. So I've had, I had one client who came to me who was completely miserable in her job. She um, had an hour-and-a-half commute every day. The work wasn't working. You know, it was just miserable. She was, it was so crushing work for her. But she felt she had no choice. She could not possibly change jobs because her family relied on her income. And she just convinced herself of that. So when she said that to me, my first question to her was, have you and your husband looked at the numbers? They had not. Mm-hmm. She had just decided just arbitrarily that they could not possibly do without her income. Right. So I sent her to go look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple, right? We decide we don't have a choice, and these are the reasons why, but when we challenge that reason, they looked at the numbers. Yes, they need her income, but they would have been okay if there were a few months that she didn't have an income. So now that we move that excuse out of the way, then we look at the next one. So that was one client that I had. I had another that's, client. I mean, and that's too. huge right there. That's, you know, that's right. Which one of the your things that, get. right. That's one of the things I would have said. Well, let's actually look at the numbers and see, you know, what's the reality here. So I love that you do that. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So and I had another client who was um, in a relationship that, and she just convinced herself she was, this was the man she was going to marry. He was everything she wanted and he was perfect. Okay. Except that he was emotionally and psychologically abusive. He would say terrible things to her and would convince her. Now, this woman was beautiful. She was gorgeous. But he would convince her that she needed to lose 10 pounds or she wasn't quite, like, it just, it was crazy. So when we got together and we started working together, I was like, so tell me what it is that you Tell me what it is that you really want in a relationship. So I had her articulate that for me. And I want her, and then I asked her, so tell me how he is not meeting that need. That's when 
what came out was he was saying all these terrible things, and she had so convinced herself that he was right that she had to stay with him because if she left him, nobody else would want her because she was too fat and she was ugly and she all because of the stories that he had been dropping into her. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So then I asked her to one of the favorite one of my favorite tools to give my clients, which I will go ahead and share with your folks, is I just want you to write a list of ten reasons why you are someone worth knowing. And they can't have anything to do with what you do. They're just simply about who you are as a person. I've never given that assignment to a single person and had them be able to do it themselves, to come up with ten. Most people can come up with three. If I have a really good client, they'll come up with five. So when I asked her to do that activity and she had her friends mirror back to her the truth of who she was, she began to recognize what was happening and the beliefs that were emerging and where those beliefs actually came from because he was not the source of those beliefs. He was just reinforcing the beliefs. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Exactly. So once we got to understand where they were coming from, we got to, I get to give her some tools to help her reprogram what she was believing to be true. And she walked away from the relationship because it wasn't working for her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she was convinced she was going to marry him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's, these are, I mean, these are big ones, you know, those are big yeah. ones. Those are being yeah. in a soul-sucking job with commute and the actual work and believing yeah. you have to stay, you can't leave yeah. because yeah. the family needs you to do that, and so you're going to sacrifice everything to do that, right? And right. starting to unravel that, pull that apart with the numbers, and then on and on. And then, you know, and then stuck in going forward in a relationship that is that is really psychologically abusive, you know, right? based yeah. on old beliefs old and old trauma yeah. and old programming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. those are two big ones. You know, go ahead. Those are big ones. So I've had a client, you know, I've had clients who don't maybe don't have quite as big ones. So I had one client who came to me, and she just really had this desire to serve her community, particularly at-risk girls and women in her community. And this was just a real deep desire that she had but couldn't figure out how to make it happen. She was so stuck with, I want to do this, but life feels so complicated, and I can't figure out how to do this. So we just sat down, and together we looked at the areas that were causing her to feel stuck and unable to do this. And really what it boiled down to was she was overgiving in all of her relationships, her marriage, her relationship with her parents. And so what we said, what we worked on was her creating space in her world for other people to take things on. And she had to be, she had to be comfortable with that. She had to be okay with that. Because, you know, we want things done a certain way, and sometimes it's just easier if I do it. Well, we're just going to let it not be easier if you do it. We're just going to let it be hard and uncomfortable to make that space. And miraculously, when she just made that space by saying no, people stepped in. And as they stepped in to those spaces, it created the margin for her to be able to create this event that she'd long wanted to create. And then when she did it, she felt amazing. Two more opportunities came her way. It's like it opened up a floodgate for her. So for her, it wasn't this big, like, life, major life change, but it was just about learning how to create a little bit of margin in her life. Well, and, and which is actually huge too, right, is because right. she overgiving, um, you know, is about mm-hmm. not having healthy boundaries, right? Right. And... 
um, what else is it about? I mean, it's about so much. It's about yeah. It's being not clear with yes and no's, but it's really about healthy boundaries. Yeah. Um, and being and giving and generosity is wonderful, but it can go too far. So it can go sounds too like far. she was she yeah. was going too far. She was over over. She was giving and needed to pull back because by over giving or saying yes to all these things, she wasn't able to say yes to the thing that was actually one of her biggest priorities, you know, for her. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so you may have already said it um, in all these examples mm-hmm. and in the tool, mm-hmm. but for folks that are listening and having their own stuck places, because we all have them, small to big, um, mm-hmm. how can they get started right mm-hmm. now with mm-hmm. getting unstuck? Yeah, it's great. Um, so what trips us up when it comes to making a change or doing something differently is we believe we have to take these big, grandiose steps. And every big, grandiose step has a bunch of smaller steps associated with it. So we can't take this grandiose step because we have to do all these smaller things. And, well, I can't do those smaller things because i got to do these other things. And then we get overwhelmed and we're like, I can't do it. So the first thing that I like if people are really stuck and they know what direction they need to move in, right? So there's two different stuck places. One is I know what direction I need to move in. I just can't figure out what the step is, right, what I need to do, or I'm afraid to do it. What I would say is rather than think of trying to take a big grandiose step, what's one baby step that you can take? And I know your community is because I know you like baby steps, Barry, so – I'm a big advocate for baby steps because I believe that they count. They move us forward. They may not move us forward as fast, but they will move us forward. So what is one baby step that you can take? So you want to change your job, for example. Okay, so you need to update your resume. Well, maybe that feels too overwhelming to try to update your entire resume. But can you update one section of your resume? Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe write the description? And then call it a day. We're done. I did that. Awesome. That's a baby step, right? Yeah. So rather than thinking of I have to go find a new job tomorrow, well, what's one baby step that you can take today? Maybe you can update your resume and maybe just one section of your resume. That's a baby step. What's yeah. a baby step that you can take? Great. So if Great. you are stuck and you have no idea what direction you need to go, then this is when I would send you to your journal. I would invite you to grab pen and paper, and what I would invite you to do is to just start writing, what do I really desire? And no judgment, so there can't be any I should or I shouldn't think that, I can't do none of that. Just start writing, and I'm a big advocate for writing free form, which means you just write and I, Morning Pages is a practice that I picked up from Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way. Yeah. And morning, morning Pages is you write three pages and your pen never leaves the paper. So sometimes you're writing, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write. And just in the writing process, truth will, will emerge. And so if you're feeling stuck, that one, and you know which direction you need to go, What's a baby step that you can take? If you're really feeling overwhelmed and you can't see the forest for the trees, pen to paper. I promise you, light will come. It has mm. happened over and over and over again in my own life and in the lives of my clients. Mm. Love it. Love it. And I love how you um, distinguish between two different kinds of stuckness as well. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about um, your experience of Art of Money, being a student, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then being a teaching assistant, and mm-hmm. how it all connects mm-hmm. with your work. And then mm-hmm. I have one more question specifically about your work, and then we'll complete there. Okay. 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 So, okay. yeah, well, let's see. You know, what um, drew you to, you know, to joining Art of Money, and what mm-hmm. sh- did you work on, and what shifted mm-hmm. in you? Yeah. I tell, I, I'll tell anybody who listens to me that they need to be a part of Art of Money because that's how much it changed my life. I'm somebody who grew up, um, didn't even know that there was such a thing as a relationship with money. I just knew that I started Art of Money. The year I did Art of Money, I was transitioning into starting my own business. And I knew that if I, if it, if I was going to be responsible for making my own money as opposed to someone just handing me a paycheck twice a month, if I was going to be the one responsible for making money, Something about how I was engaging with money had to shift and had to change. And I can't even fully remember how I found you. I think I found you from somebody else's blog who maybe linked from somebody else's blog. And it was reading something on your site at the time that really shifted for me this idea that I actually have a relationship with money and I still didn't really know what that meant. But when I read about Art of Money, it was a holy yes. It was an instant, I need to be in this program. And just looking at the ways that the program was structured, the three, you know, main areas and the things that were going to be covered, I knew that it had the potential to create some radical transformations for me around my relationship with money. And it did. I I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the money stories that I grew up with that I didn't even really realize. Things that that are still coming up today and I still go back to the tools that I got in order of money to support me as as I come to each new level of um, how I want to be with money. So, and what did you, what do you think you learned as a teaching assistant? Both, you know, all the TAs, just like myself, were continuing to do our our own money work, right, and will mm-hmm. for years to come. You know, until we take yeah. our last breath. So, I'm doing my own money work. You are. All the teaching assistants are. Um, as you've continued to do your own money work and as you've gotten to see hundreds of people each year doing it, what what have you learned from that? I think what what I would say to that is that um, a we're all we all are dealing with similar issues around money, right? And I know that you say that a lot in the program, but seeing it in so many different people from so many different parts of the world, from so many different backgrounds, we all have our issues around money. I think this last year, what I really got to witness was the ways in which even those who come from a lot of money also have issues that they have to deal with around money. That it is not just, I grew up in a single-parent home, so for me it was more of a um, scarcity mindset that needed to shift, but there's there's a whole different slew of issues that come up when you don't grow up in poverty, when you grow up with lots of financial stability. And I think recognizing that the backstory of money brings with it, no matter what it is, its own unique set of issues that we're all trying to process and that we're all trying to work through. Um, I think when... As someone who grew up in poverty, I would think that all the money in the world, I'd have no money problems, and yet that has not 
proven to be the case, that it just comes with different money problems. And that, I think, has been liberating. And to know that I can um, find connection with anyone, regardless of their money story. Beautiful. And how do you feel that your work um, around helping people get unstuck and helping people through transitions and all the, you know, naming the inner critic and dancing with fear and journaling, and how do you feel that dovetails with the art of money work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Art of Money is a year-long program, uh, well, lifelong program once you get yep. started on it. And I think that even just in the year that the community is getting support from you and the other TAs, there are points where we get stuck. And I think the work that I do around understanding those stories and where they're coming from and look at those beliefs, all things that you do vary um, but I think that it just adds a different layer because I come at it from a different lens. Yeah. And sometimes coming at it from a different lens can help create insight yeah. that can get someone unstuck. And so I think that work that I do around supporting people through transition can really help in a money situation when you feel like you're stuck either on the program or you're stuck in a new, you're trying to get to a new level financially and you feel like you can't push through to it. Whereas what's really going on there and really looking at those things. So I think it really does, I think it dovetails really well um, just in the one year that they're getting support. But then again, throughout life, we, we, every new situation we find ourselves in brings with it new money challenges. And so, yeah, I think it dovetails really well. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that there are different themes that come up each year and, after doing this 16-plus years, you know, I think it was in the first few years I realized I hadn't included the concept of forgiveness, and I realized, mm. wow, okay, that that needs to be put in. Or from the beginning, there was a thread of value, our own value, living in our values, cultivating value. Yeah. And I think in the last few years I've been seeing more and more that whenever we take on a new journey, or as you're saying, in life, you know, that we're going to mm-hmm. hit – stuck places. We're going to hit places where we don't know how to move forward or where to move forward or what is next. And that happens in life. And it also happens when you're doing a year long program, like the art of money. Right. And you just hit a brick wall. You hit a stuck place and it's uncomfortable. It's really awkward. You think you're never going to get through it. And so I love that you've shared with us, um, a lot of tools already, um, you know, just even in how to question or where to go to the journal or to give your, you know, inner critic a name and just how to begin to work um, yeah. with this place that that comes up often, right? That is just, mm-hmm. yeah, a really real part of life. Yeah. Yeah, and if I could just add one other thing, yeah. an important part when you're feeling stuck is, to try to keep judgment out of it as much as possible. I like to ask people, uh, bring to this space kindness. I mean, ridiculous levels of kindness. Be kind to yourself when you're in this space because the kindness will create the spaciousness to help you to figure out what you have to do. But the judgment will shut you down because judgment contracts. It, it weighs down. It keeps us our head down. 
so we can't look up. We can't see the path that might be in front of us covered up by a bunch of leaves, right? Or we can't see the whatever the way out because we're weighed down by this judgment. So I'm such a big advocate. I swear it's going to be on my tombstone when I die. No judgment. No judgment. If you can stay out of judgment, then then the truth and the the light will come if you can just create the space for kindness, the spaciousness for kindness. So how would kindness respond here and and try to move from that space? Hmm. I really think that may be... It may be step two or three, but if it could be step one, um, mm-hmm. that could be so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's so hard, and you're right. I mean, what you're saying I think okay. is so important for people to really hear. When we arrive at this stuck place, it does feel heavy. It does feel thick. It's so uncomfortable, right? And mm-hmm. then the inner critic comes up. Then the fear comes right? Mm-hmm. Then all these things, the layers mm-hmm. upon layers. Right. But you're saying if somehow if we can get in there and wash it over, you know, with some kindness, which can come from all these different ways, is do you have anything more? I feel like this is where we should complete. It's beautiful. Just how to add in, is there anything else that's coming to you about adding in kindness and how to do that? Yeah. I, I truly have found that if we can ask the question, how would kindness respond here, right? So I, I say all the time, RLK, ridiculous levels of kindness. So what I know is if I see a friend who's struggling and I come to my friend who is struggling, I don't say to her, you're a terrible human being. I say to her, how can I support you? How can I hold you? Would it help you if I sat beside you? Would it help you if we just talked it out and I, left, I allowed you to vent? Like, what would be helpful here? I think if we ask ourselves, how would kindness respond here, and we think about bringing that kindness to another human being, then sometimes it's easier for us to access the answer to then give it to ourselves. Does that make sense? It does. Yes. So this, I mean, everyone's going to have their own order, but... You know, mm-hmm. a step one could be asking this question, inserting this question. How yeah. would kindness respond here? Um, yeah. And then you can go journal or then you can, you know. Um, right. But this is this would be huge. Um, and it's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful, beautiful question. Okay. Hmm. okay. Makita, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful for this piece. It feels really complete. Um, I, I, I've never, I haven't done an interview on, um, what happens when you get stuck, you know, and, and some tools or some simple tools around getting unstuck. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your wisdom with our community. And thank you for having me. It's really been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called 
to wade deeper here. Please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.